wait, for the day of the Lord is near. Welcome back to Hackberry House, a podcast devoted to the Word of God and the persecuted church in North Korea. My name is Bob. This is podcast number 355. It is December 27, uh, 2015. Well, today more remembrances of the heroic North Korean people. Inspiration for all of us to continue on in the faith of Jesus. I'm reading from Hackberry House, Volume 1, Two Years with North Korea, that I put together a few years ago. There are over 300 separate articles about North Korea in the book. I'm on number 55 right now. It's called Adopted, Kidnapped, Returned. And the following story is actually, even then, was from some years back. It's adapted from Extreme Devotion, put out by Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.com. You can reach them. Communists tell North Korean children that they'll suffer a horrific fate if they're ever caught in China. But the children also know that if they are fortunate enough to escape, they should look for a building with the shape of a cross on it to find help. Two North Korean children who managed to arrive at a Chinese church relayed their stories to the pastor. My name is Cheng Li. My sister and I watched our parents starve to death. We managed to walk across the Yalu River while it was still frozen. Once on the other side, my older sister said, You stay here. I have to go on a little farther by myself. She never returned. Cheng is only six. Hong Jun, an 11-year-old boy, said, I want to return to North Korea and tell others about Christ. Then he cried as he sang, O Lord, give us the voice of the gospel for our beloved brothers the Lord so loved before. Where are all these gone? The Lord is looking upon them. O Lord, send us to them, to our beloved Korean brothers. O Lord, send us to them, to our beloved Korean brothers, wherever they are. Let them bloom as flowers. A few months later, Hong Jun was kidnapped from the village, forcibly returned to North Korea. Perhaps he is witnessing to his captors even today. Number 56, what it's like being a North Korean Christian. Well, I really don't know. But wait, since you asked, and since the word tells me to remember prisoners as though I were bound with them, it's probably important to try to understand what they're experiencing. Let's see. Uh, to be a North Korean Christian must mean to, uh, to eat a lot less. Could I do that? Yes, fasting is a command and an opportunity to relate to the suffering church. I could skip a meal now and then, or I could cut out a meal altogether. Who says I need three a day to survive? North Korean Christians probably walk a lot. Hmm, no wheels. Could I find ways to walk more? What, what if I were the one on the trail each day that the wheeled people on bikes were always saying, on your left, to... What if it were 
me that the cars were coming around and blasting away with their nasty horns. Yeah, I guess I could do that. I could lose some weight in the process, get back to nature, live simply. Well, believers in North Korea don't go to church to be someone or to watch videos or to talk with their friends about the latest sports outcomes. They don't go to see a performance or to gossip about so-and-so. Their attendance is not casual. If they go, the meeting is in secret, and it's understood that it could end in jail or worse. They go to hear from God, regardless of the cost. Now, how in the world could I relate to that? Well, I could take my church attendance more seriously. I could stop criticizing I could lead a holy life that makes church necessary and not optional. I could develop a love for Jesus in my prayer life that would spill over to my church life. Hmm. Being a North Korean believer means no television to speak of, no constant distraction and temptation to look at what the world is doing and try to be like it. Hmm, not a bad idea. Could I get rid of my habit, my TV, at least one of those five hanging around the house? Maybe I could trash all but one and use it only for news? Or, or could I use my radio and computer for news and pitch all the TVs, all of them? Am I too far advanced in my addiction to try any of this? Then how will I ever relate to a North Korean believer? and have anything better to offer him. In truth, some of the above things I've already done, I desire to do all of them deep inside of me, and more. But even then, it will not let me fully understand what it means to be a North Korean Christian. When the persecution comes here, then I'll know. I've said it before, we need North Koreans more than they need us. As you read through the items above and listen to it, doesn't it strike you that the life they're living is very close to the life prescribed in the Word? If I, in my liberty, have chosen not to live as they must live in their restriction, I've got to ask why. What's wrong with less food, no TV, lots of walking, and, and vital church services? What's wrong with me and my culture? I'm sorry, my answer to the question seems to have turned into a another question. Yeah. Number 57, religion in North Korea. Tom Belke's book called Juche is, I hope, on your reading list. VOM and others offer it on their websites. I quote today from the foreword by Bansuk Lee of Fuller Theological Seminary. Kim Il-sung's plan and the Juche ideology were initially presented as political. And soon after his taking control of North Korea, though, it became a manifest part of a plan for Satan to assume rights and authority over the North Korean people. The veil continues to cover the eyes, minds, hearts, and spirits of the North Koreans who believe that Juche which means self-reliance, will save the world. Hundreds die every day in total ignorance of God's love and mercy. 
The Juche mentality is Satan's fetter shackling people's minds. Juche must be broken. It is the epitome of rebellion. God created us in his image to be fully dependent on him. Juche holds the direct opposite. The small Kim Il-sung pin covering every North Korean's heart is in fact a symbol of worship, spiritually hindering them from giving their hearts to Jesus. Their slogans and songs, deifying Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, and now Kim Jong-un, and Juche, are used to keep them in spiritual darkness. As North Koreans are forced to worship the images of Kim Il-sung daily, they remain ignorant offenders, breaking God's commandment and falling under his curse. For too long, North Korea has been a playground of principalities and powers. Millions of souls have entered eternity without having heard the name of Jesus. This must stop. And to uh, the writer of those words, I say amen and amen. Who will join forces against the enemy of our souls to bring about an end to this? Number 58, the amazing case of Kim Hyun Lee. Make that Kim Hyun Hee. That's her name. Probably doesn't ring a bell with you. Today, she lives somewhere in South Korea. Afraid for her life, they say. Assassination is the word they're using, perhaps by North Koreans who managed to sneak in now and then. They call her that. Perhaps by South Koreans. What a pained life this must be. So what could one uh, 30-something lady have done 20 years prior to that to warrant such hatred? She was born in North Korea in 1962 to a privileged family. Kim was soon discovered to be a talented child. She was bright and beautiful and eventually got the attention of the powers in Pyongyang. Normally, for one to be praised by one's government is a, is a happy thing, but in North Korea, none of the rules apply. Grabbed from her family against their will and better judgment, Kim was trained to be a spy. After the normal introductory assignment, she was given one last mission. She was to help bomb a passenger jet coming into Seoul, filled with South Koreans. This would convince the powers that be that the Olympic Games should never be held in Seoul. Somehow this would lead to the reunification of the Koreas. I know it's a stretch, but that's what she was told. And raised to believe that the ruling powers were all wise, she bought it. Her partner was a long-time professional, and the two of them posed as Japanese tourists. On their return to Korea, they planted a bomb on KAL Flight 858. Now do you know who she is? Mistakes were made and the two were caught. The old man killed himself. Kim tried, but to no avail. She was brought to trial in Seoul, found guilty, and then pardoned by the government of Seoul. Pardoned by the government of Seoul. We're told that the South Korean president was politically motivated in his 
decision to pardon Kim. His reasoning to the world was, well, the persons who ought to be on trial here are Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. This child is as much a victim of this evil regime as the passengers aboard KAL 858. And who can argue with his reasoning? Kim truly repented of her actions, both before the trial and after. She was led to see that she had been lied to all of her life. One look at Seoul told her most of what she needed. She wrote a book that I think you should read. All the proceeds from it went to families of victims. And though I write all of this today with a calm, almost cold reporter's way, when I read her book, I was, as I have often been over the last months, one during those two years when I was with North Korea, I've been a, I was a basket case during that time. The book is aptly named The Tears of My Soul. The book will extract the tears from your soul, too. Oh, did I mention Kim Hyun-hee gave her life to Jesus Christ after these horrible events? Whether someone else will ever be able to forgive her is uncertain, but God has. Hmm. Well, we've been doing little bits of history also. Every few articles I do a little of the history of the disaster in North Korea. When the new South Korean administration built an economy based on the successful strategies of Japan, North Korea began to lose the race for supremacy on the peninsula. Japan, modeling its structure on Western successes with American assistance, was not the guide that the Kims of the North wanted to follow. That's why the South, from 1966 on, outpaced the North every year. And by 1976, they had passed them in per capita income. Kim Il-sung, himself leading a very uncommunist type of life, nevertheless pushed his socialist, militarist ways on a people heading downhill. He also pushed them further into isolation. Later in the decade, seeing the U.S. was involved and overextended in Vietnam, it could be that Kim decided to take advantage of the situation. Much like N.K. is manipulating a similarly busy America today. Well, first in 1968, there was the aborted assassination attempt on South Korean President Park Chung-hee. In that same year, a United States ship in international waters called the Pueblo was fired upon, taken in, and its crew of 82 men arrested. Confessions, in the way of the communists, were forced and the crew was released. Amazingly, North Korea got away with it. So they struck again. In 1969, an American reconnaissance plane was shot down. Appeasing an enemy doesn't work. But I'll leave political and military solutions to the governments involved. My job is to inform God's people of the situation in North Korea so that they'll know how to pray and how to love this nation. However, believers can learn about their spiritual lives from this lesson. When the enemy of our soul suggests compromise and offers rewards, we must remember that appeasement just doesn't work. 
His purposes in us must be destroyed altogether. Those uh, history portions, including this one, have been gleaned from the book by Bradley Martin. Well, that's all for this time. We'll continue with number 60 next time. Hope this is helping your prayer life and your your awareness of who this nation is and has been and uh, asking God, what should I do? What can I do? What can anyone do? I hope that someone will catch the fire here and try to do something anyway. Well, I want to remind you that this podcast features the works of great men of God and North Korea updates. My own sermon audio topics cover a wide range of Christian issues. There's a long series, as I have shown with you today, on North Korea. There's a course on the Koran, many prophecy studies through the Bible course, Bible commentaries, a whole lot more. So just browse a while. Hey, and don't forget to click on Photos. Then click on that first album that you see. Scores of picture updates. We're into the 90s now. 96, I think it was. Updates on North Korea. Tomorrow, it's back to Usama Daktak. I didn't say Osama. I said Usama. It's an Egyptian Christian that wrote a translation of Quran as a Protestant. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful book. We're going to start going through it. Now, I've, I've done a study on this book once before. This time, I'm just looking for the answer to a question that keeps coming up in the news every day. You, you hear different things from different people about, is Islam a peaceful religion? Is Islam a religion of warfare? The Quran says yes. Yes to both. I want to show you how that works and why it's very deceiving. God bless you today. Don't forget where we started. It was in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. And this is addressed to the North Koreans. Wait, for the day of the Lord is near.